You've tuned in to the Recovery Innovators Radio Show, your access to today's best addiction recovery ideas, tools, and experts. Listen in and you will learn what is and what isn't working today. And now, here's your host, James Healy. Hey everyone, this is James and welcome to the show. Now I'm here to help you turn your addiction recovery challenges into successes and freedom from everything that's keeping you from living the life you deserve. I check in with innovative addiction recovery experts and we get to hear directly from them what is working today for addicts in recovery, for their families, their friends, and maybe we can help provide some industry insight for other experts too. Hey, I recently read an article that said 81% of Americans would like to become a published author. Now, chances are you might be one of them, right? I know I am. What is stopping us? Well, writing and publishing a book takes a lot of work and kind of be a pain and is expensive too, right? Well, not anymore. For my next book project, I've teamed up with Hassle-Free Books. They are making it so easy for me to become an author. They are removing all of the fuss and struggle and making it smooth and simple. And it's far more affordable than you could ever imagine. Go to hasslefreebooks.com and use promo code INNOVATORS to receive a 10% discount off of any book project. Get started right away and become a published author in as little as 45 days. That's hasslefreebooks.com, promo code INNOVATORS. Let's get to that interview. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. Now, most guys and a lot of girls watch porn at some point, and there's certainly no shortage of it on the internet. But the sheer variety and quantity of online smut can be overwhelming, and for some people, obsession is just a click away. Now, sex or porn addiction remains a controversial designation, often dismissed as a myth or providing talk show punchlines thanks to high-profile addicts like Tiger Woods. But compulsive sexual behavior can systematically destroy a person's life, much as addictions to alcohol or drugs can. And it's affecting an increasing number of people, say psychiatrists and addiction experts. An article I caught recently in Newsweek claimed, it's a national epidemic. And now we've heard that a lot about some other addiction problems recently. And my next guest, Joshua Shea, seemingly had it all. A loving wife, two children, and a supportive extended family. And in 2010, he launched a lifestyle magazine in his hometown. Within a year, he was one of the founders of Central Maine's largest film festival and had won a seat on his city council. Accolades, including receiving the key to the city and being called one of the next 10 people shaping Maine's economy by a state newspaper followed. While the public got one picture of Shea, behind closed doors, his longtime mental health and addiction issues were festering. Now, Joshua is the author of the book, The Addiction Nobody Will Talk About, How My Pornography Addiction Hurt People and Destroyed Relationships, and he's chatting with me today to help us gain some insight into this often stigmatized issue, which is so hard for people to openly discuss. Welcome, Joshua. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me on the show, James. I appreciate it. 
Yeah, no doubt. Now, this uh, easy access to porn, right? And uh, is it me or does it seem like this may be related to the increased incidence of sex and porn addiction in today's world? When I was a yeah. kid, it was hard to get your hands on a Playboy magazine. A- ab- absolutely. There involved, you know, some shoplifting, some diversion of the guy at the counter. It was it was a whole <laughs> operation. It was a heist. Right. Yeah. When you and I were a kid and I was uh, just recently talking to a group and I said, I think that, you know, I am one of the very last people who probably developed a porn addiction off of the Internet. Because, (laughs) well, I mean, we now have people who are out of college settling into their jobs who don't remember a world before the Internet. And don't remember a world before you could see any type of sexual proclivity that you want to do at the end of a click of a button. Right. Yeah, it is just the access is just amazing. And from what I was reading, right, and, and doing some research, and, and from what I know, is that it, it's a dramatically increasing problem that no one is really talking about, right? I mean, and you Absolutely. found this out through your own experience. I, and that's exactly it. I, uh, I also struggle with alcoholism. Mm-hmm. And all, all of those years that I was drinking and drinking for, you know, the wrong reasons and uh, having behavior or consequences of my drinking that weren't positive, I recognized I had a drinking problem. Uh, mm-hmm. My usage of pornography, which eventually did move online like everybody else, that just seemed like a bit of a release. That just seemed like almost a hobby. You know, it didn't interfere in my life. It, you know, you don't go to a restaurant and order a, uh, you know, penthouse magazine off the menu. You do order a beer. Um, (laughs) So it was, you know, and and so much of society paid attention to drugs and alcohol. And and, and in some recent years, things like sex addiction or gambling, but nobody ever talked about pornography addiction. And that was one of the key players in the uh, fall that I had several years back that led to me taking a good look at my mental health, my alcoholism, my porn addictions, how I make my decisions, how I treat other people, and really just revamping my entire life. And because I had a certain stature in the community, when I ended up getting arrested and going through the legal process, every detail of my case was all over the newspaper or TV. So unlike (laughs) a lot of people who... I understand, hide this, have huge shame. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my details are all out there. So the best thing that I can do is to try to make some good out of my situation and try to just raise awareness and say, hey, you know what? It's hard to say words like pornography and, and masturbate and addiction, but they need to be said. They need to be said without judgment because like any other addiction, this is an illness, this is a disease of the mind, and if we don't deal with it the way we haven't dealt with many of our other societal ills, we're going to be in some real trouble here before very long. Right. Now, you were mentioning before we started recording how many younger folks uh, you had some stats on that oh, it's, were, it's, I mean, were uh, admitting to some sort of uh, pornography oh, yeah. issues, right? Well, I mean, right, right now, uh, roughly 80% of men between 18 and 30 admit to viewing pornography monthly. Right. And that, that's admitting. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, and that's something <laughs> right. a lot of people won't admit. So let's, let's, say, let's say the low number is 8 in 10. 
of 18 to 30-year-olds, about one-third of men between the ages of 18 and 30 uh, either think that they're addicted or unsure if they're addicted to pornography. You know, that's one in three. Those statistics are far worse than addictions to almost anything else. And as I was saying to you, if we don't start to address this, those those men who are 18 to 30 now, they'll soon be 25 to 40, and they'll be 60 to 75. And this is not something that they're going to grow out of or just disappear. Like any addiction, this changes the brain. If we don't start addressing this as a society for the people who already have it and talking more about it to hopefully prevent these cases of addiction, we're going to be in trouble. I saw a study not too long ago out of, I believe it was McGill University in Montreal, where they wanted to do a pornography study, and they gathered uh, something like 300 people under the age of 40, and they could not find one who had not looked at pornography online in the last year. Wow. They could not find one, and I don't think that's a I don't think that's a Canadian thing. No, uh, no. And, but you know, forty-two point seven percent of all internet users view pornography. Twenty-eight uh, percent of people admit to actually viewing pornography at work at least once a month. Wow. This is I mean, think about just all the lost work time. Yeah, the productivity that, 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 in there. that comes with that. Uh, <laughs> you know, if uh, the overall number of all men. Uh, who believe they may have an addiction. It's 18% uh, in the United States. That translates to 21 million men in this country who think they may have a pornography addiction. And currently, there are hundreds of thousands of AA meetings out there. I can, right. go, to, I can go to five AA yeah. meetings before you and I are done this interview. Right. However, in the state of Maine where I'm from, there are only five meetings in an entire week, and I have to drive hours to go to some of them. There, right. Nationwide, there are 1,500 Sex Addicts Anonymous meetings per week, while there are 100 times that for, for alcohol addiction. Right. And we need to start making those numbers rise when it comes to uh, dealing with sexuality, pornography, these types of issues, even if it is difficult to talk about. What are some of the signs that someone might uh, recognize either within themselves or with someone they know that they may be struggling with this? Well, I mean, and and you can make the argument that nobody ever needs to look at porn. Uh, But uh, if somebody does look at porn um, from when it goes from just something that they perhaps used as a sexual aid, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's their behavior around it. Things like lying about their use, keeping mm-hmm. secrets about it, covering it up. Or if they're confronted about their use, an anger and an irritability that somebody is pointing out like they're doing something wrong. And then it's, it starts to escalate. You know, sexual dysfunction could happen or a desire to stick with pornography and not experience real human right. uh, interaction. And when you do experience human interaction, having problems completing the act, inability to you know, reach orgasm, uh, inability to even, even get an erection. And then you know, the next level, as it keeps going, the more time you use uh, the pornography, you know, maybe it's 20 or 30 minutes a night. Well, down the road, that becomes an hour or two hours. What is what is that starting to replace in your life? Are you starting to have problems, you know, socially and intimate in relationships? 
do you feel that you know depression and shame and, and isolation that comes with your use um, mm-hmm. all of all of the typical signs and you find this with with every addiction <laughs> right um, you know losing interest in anything that doesn't have to do with it whether it be work or school or exercising or you know if your if your go-to is pornography you probably have a problem and then at the at the very end when it gets critical you know where i got at the very end you know you start to view in you know more intense uh, uh graphic nature of things bizarre content um mm. you know you start utilizing any device you can get your hands on whether it's your home you know starts with your home computer soon moves to your phone because you're mobile then it moves to your work computer mm-hmm. um, you start getting involved with things like webcams mm-hmm. um, or you know you, you take it beyond just a two-dimensional realm and then you know problems problems at school uh problems at work right. uh, you know your life is being taken over and you know things like financial issues and and ultimately uh even legal issues as it was for me pop up because this addiction takes hold and you may not have the tools to deal with it and right. you know i don't try to minimize my addiction i don't try to rationalize it i created there were victims in my wake it was a it was a horrible thing that i did I paid the price. I'm not a victim, but I didn't have the tools to deal with any of this that was happening. And people need to understand that, you know, looking at pornography will have a very negative effect in your life and it can get really bad and, and essentially ruin your life, ruin relationships as it did with me in many aspects of my life. And I just think if more people knew this, they would perhaps seek out help at a much earlier time before I did. And that's why, you know, all, all of these, a lot of these warning signs, a lot of these statistics I'm throwing at you yeah. in, in my book, you won't find them because right. my book is designed to be a memoir, just kind of showing you almost like a, a camera crew was following me, just how I descended into it. Because this is not about, you know, the 19 year old pimply faced kid in his mom's basement who never has kissed a girl in real life. Porn addiction. If this is if this is hitting one out of every three people, yeah. there's very quote unquote normal average people who are coping with this in silence, in shame, with embarrassment. And we need to create a culture of safety where they feel like they can come out and start to talk about this. Yeah, that's definitely what I got out of your book too. Was that it's a it's a story that could be anyone's story almost. Like it's a path that someone could follow and find themselves on quite easily and understanding what's going on and seeing the story in someone else and then rec- you know, kind of reflecting and saying, wow, that, that sounds a lot like me <laughs> or it sounds yeah. a lot like someone I know. Then it might lead someone to say, maybe I should seek some help. Or uh, a- Absolutely. And I think that the, uh, the healthcare community needs to do a a bit of a better job communicating with people who feel like they may have an issue in letting them know that there's a safe place to talk about it and letting them know that, you know, it's, it's, it's an addiction like any other, uh, Mm -hmm. doesn't excuse any behavior within it, just like any other addiction, you know, but it's okay to talk about it. It's time to talk about it and talking about it is what is going to, 
hopefully start to turn things around because you know right now if it's one in three men under the age of 30 who are addicted i can only imagine what that's going to be in 10 years or 20 years if we don't start addressing this i mean we're talking about a, a society that its views and its its uh handling of sexuality as an overall topic is going to radically change and i don't think people even can understand what that might do to society the sexual harassment stuff you're seeing in hollywood yeah, right yeah. now you're talking super tip of the iceberg right um, if we don't right. if we don't start dealing with this on a much deeper level right well in some ways the, a lot of people's perceptions of what's okay with sexual behavior is they're being learned through their watching porn right it's not, right. It's yeah. not being educated uh, and it's not openly discussed in other areas. So no, and it's and porn is easy, and porn, you know, the woman or man on the uh, other end of the computer or the the video, uh, they're never saying no. Right. Um, they're they're never you're never having to deal with them after the fact. Right. Uh, you know, it's it's easy. Yeah, there's no rejection. You you do it and you're done, and that's going to catch up with us, and that's going to start affecting other aspects of human sexuality it's, it's already starting to affect it's starting yeah uh, but it's it's going to snowball and we've got to do something uh soon mm-hmm. uh, t- to let everybody know okay this is the next big thing we're we're dealing with a uh, the opioid crisis right now and super serious thing but we should have known this was coming right. uh, we should have known that the sexual harassment thing was coming I mean, it seemed like 10 years ago all anybody could talk about was bullying all of a sudden. Yeah. And I thought, you know, when I was in school in the eighties, everybody was bullying each other. Why does, why do you only care 20 years later? <laughs> right. Well, you know what? It's, 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 it's time to add this to our list of things to start uh, caring about. Yeah. Now let's talk a little bit about what happens when you do seek help. Like you, you understand someone says, okay, I need some help. Tell us a little bit about how you ended up entering recovery from your issues and kind of what that process looked like for you so some folks can understand yeah, how that works. As I, you know, this the story builds in the book, you kind of see my life imploding from multiple angles. My mm-hmm. um, business, and, and who knows chicken and egg, what caused what. But right. My business started imploding. My relationship with my family was imploding. My alcoholism was getting worse. I was taking my pornography addiction and beginning to go into chat rooms, uh, talking to women. That was eventually what took me down was that I I ended up talking to uh, a girl who was 14 years old and Hmm. she never told me she was. I never asked. and I don't think I would have cared cared because I was in such a sick state at the time anyway. Because I was, I had pulled myself off of my uh, psych meds, hoping that I could tap into my manic side to maybe save the business. Mm-hmm. I was sleeping only two or three hours a night, so you just get this, this, this horrible stew, this perfect storm of dysfunction happening. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, I mean, it was a godsend that the police showed up, and one fell swoop, my life changed, and that's what I needed. And ultimate uh, intervention. I don't think, I don't know if at that point, I think I was in such a critical state, my family or friends could have taken me aside and I would have just 
told them, you know, I would not have been that story on intervention that ends up at intervention. Right. I would have, I would have walked away because I, you know, with also with having some, you know, narcissism issues, Sure. I wouldn't have believed any of it. And I needed the police to get involved. And I agreed to go to first rehab in California for alcoholism. And I thought I'd be there 28 days, like it always looks like in the movies. And I ended up being Palm Springs for 70 days. And that was where I started to uh, work with an outside sex addiction therapist, Uh, started to uncover a little bit of trauma that happened to me, some abuse when I was younger, how that probably formed some survival skills, how that probably formed some of my views of sexuality. Mm -hmm. And so I spent 10 weeks there when I got back to Maine. I went into very, you know, intensive therapy, uh, both group and one-on-one to start to deal with some of the things that I I was learning about in rehab. I made the decision uh, also to go to a sex rehab uh, Mm -hmm. in, in Texas. And I was there for seven weeks dealing with the issue, more specifically, the issues around uh, sexuality and the pornography. And, you know, both rehabs were amazingly transformative experiences. Uh, So few people, you know, I I don't know how anybody gets by with one hour a week of therapy or one hour every (laughs) other week. Right. Time to me. Uh, you know, I, I was very lucky in that uh, I had family members who helped and I had resources that are not available to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I could spend the time. It was between being arrested and being sentenced. It was 22 months. And wow. I, I almost it was almost a full time job for me getting better, entering recovery, figuring out why I did things I did, learning about myself, um, right. working hard. And I know that just doesn't happen with most people. Right. And, and they don't have the ability to do that. I, I mentioned in the book that there were people I met in rehab who only because they were lucky never got in trouble with the law. And there are people that I met when I did my, my six months in jail who had the worst luck on earth and would never would never have the resources to be able to go to a real rehab. Right. Um, and, yeah. but there's very little, and you know, there may be millions of dollars difference between these two people, but there's very little difference between what's going on in their head. Yeah. Uh, whether it's drugs or alcohol or sex or, or whatever the addiction may be. So, and you know, now today I do uh, still have a, monthly group support mm-hmm. and I still do uh, two hours a week of uh, one-on-one therapy and then just writing this book keeping up my I, I maintain a website called recoveringpornaddict.com you know going on there a couple times a day writing blog posts mm-hmm. talking to other people all part of the therapy all part of the recovery and recovery is one of those things that it's going to be an ongoing process until I take my last breath right yeah. Well, it's studies have shown for all addictions, whether it's uh, sex, porn, alcohol, heroin, that the the longer term treatment models, you know, like the two year model, like you're talking about, where you're really going through some phases of changing your life and your mental state around certain issues <laughs> is what it takes. The 30, 60, 90 day uh, model that's kind of been yeah no it is you it, know it's it's, it's worked around work. insurance payment plans yeah, and that yeah, sort of thing doesn't really work that well and we've known that so 
it's a tremendous amount of work. It's yeah. hard to do. It's emotionally exhausting. I mean, I, I, I do an interview like this, uh, you know, for a podcast and I, I'm not doing anything the next two hours after this. I mean, this <laughs> just talking about this stuff is still exhausting for me. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I wrote this book, the first version of this book I wrote in jail with pencils because right. that's, all, that's all they'd give us into right. notebooks. And I filled four of those college composition books and it ended up being over 200,000 words. Wow. Version that you've seen is about 90,000 words. Right. Uh, because I, I just cut so much superfluous stuff out of there, but incredibly cathartic for someone like me who's been a professional writer since he was 18 years old. You know, writing about everything that happened has really helped me. Yeah. Um, and you have to find those places where. You know, what does help you? Uh, I'm one of those people who exercise does nothing but make me angry. Um, It it doesn't clear my head the way that all the scientists say it should. But writing, (laughs) writing saves my life. And uh, when I got this book done, it was just like, this is something that I need to share. I need to, I need to somehow put some good back into the world. I was such a taker for so long. And when I was in rehab, I met people who, and and, and in jail, I met people who I would five years ago have crossed the street to avoid. Mm -hmm. And what I found was some of the most honest, real people I've ever met in my life. And they had some incredible stories and learning about them was just as cathartic for me as learning about myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's really why I think that, you know, the inpatient rehab was so valuable. The The therapy was important. What happened in those rooms, uh, you know, where we worked together were important, but just as important was having that support of, you know, sitting at night, talking with somebody, you know, right. sitting in a chair or having dinner with somebody and just sitting there talking who, if it wasn't for this strange, strange situation, you never would have been thrown together with this person in this world. Right. And, uh, there's so much to learn from them. Well, you know, and this style of addiction definitely pings the brain just much like drug addiction does. And so there must be some sort of withdrawals of, of a sort, you know, not maybe not so physical, but a lot of cravings and things. And oh, that's abs- why these, these groups and the writing and, uh, Absolutely. I know for me, the podcasting, it's part of my program too. So, yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where you, you know, I, you don't even recognize all the triggers you have until you enter recovery. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, it still happens to me that I'll go see a movie at, at the movie theater or something will be on television. And I didn't know I did it at the time, but mm-hmm. if a particularly good looking actress was on, on the screen, I'd tell myself, oh, well, when you get back home, uh, make sure to go on to one of those celebrity database websites and see if she's been in anything else. Right. And I never recognized I did that until after the fact. Right. And while it rarely, it doesn't happen to me nearly as much as it used to, it's one of those things that I, I recognize now. Wow. I had, I've been doing this since I was 18 years old. Right. And I didn't even know it was a trigger and it was only through recovery that you learn these things. And then it's a matter of, okay, well, instead of going to the computer and doing that, what do I choose to do instead? And retraining yourself and redirecting yourself. The best piece of advice I ever got 
was uh, from one of my counselors in my first rehab talking about alcohol. And he said, you know, while it's simplistic, uh, it's amazingly effective if when you're facing a trigger, when you're facing your addiction, get up and go sit over there. <laughs> and I never understood what that meant until I was in an airport for the first time in 20 years after getting sober. And right. I, I didn't even recognize how much I drank in airports for 20 years. Right. I, I got to the airport and I had two hours, so I'd find a bar. Yeah. And that's just, that's just my airport. And when I went to an airport for the first time, I instinctually headed toward the bar and I'd already been 18 months sober. And I had to, I literally had to get up, go to a newsstand, pick up a magazine and go sit three gates away somewhere uh, else yeah. where I was. Because I, and, and I, and that was the point where I was like, aha, I get what he means about just stand up and walk yeah. away and go sit over there because that's sometimes just the best thing that you can do. Yeah. You're trying to retrain your your neural pathways that have you know, been so ingrained right. like the two uh, seconds it takes to boot you know, <laughs> if, if you're like me you leave your computer on all the time yeah well you know what turn it off because <laughs> those two minutes or i'm sorry those two seconds that it takes to boot up your computer and even unplug it you know those two or three seconds that you have to go through those extra steps that may be the difference between relapsing and and not relapsing right um, yeah. to be able to create as many moments of clarity for yourself as many little roadblocks along the way and i'm now at a point where my computer is again on all the time and it's not an issue but mm -hmm. i needed to retrain my brain right before, before i could continue to live somehow the way i was before right awesome well how can people find out more about you, your story, and get a copy of your book and read it or share it with someone who might need it? Yeah, uh, my book right now is available both on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. Okay. Uh, again, it's called The Addiction Nobody Will Talk About, mm -hmm. how, uh, how I Let My Pornography Addiction Hurt People and Destroy Relationships. Like I said, Amazon and Burns and Noble, if you want a simple link to it, you can go to my website, which is recoveringpornaddict.com. You'll see uh, I write usually one or two uh, entries a week about sort of thinking about that or dealing with it at that point. There are a lot of resources there. Uh, there's starting to be a small community developing of, of people supporting each other, not just all porn addicts, but people who you know have other mental health conditions or other addictions, sure. who a very non-judgmental space, which is what, what I wanted. I think that's becoming a nice resource. And right on the homepage there, there are links to the uh, to the book if you want to purchase it. And again, that is recoveringpornaddict.com. Thank you so much for joining me and sharing your story and your book and your your experience around this important and really under-discussed issue. Uh, I think the more we talk about it, the easier it is to talk about it. So I hope so. And thank you for, you know, being the person who, you know, I have the message, but I need the person who has the medium. And uh, if more people who have the medium are willing to open up and talk about this kind of stuff. And yeah, they are, they are difficult dis discussions to have. Yeah. Um, 
but there's a reason they're difficult to have and and it's only going to get more difficult if we don't continue having them so kudos to you for having a space where this kind of thing can be talked about thank you so much i agree it's it's difficult especially with hard to talk about topics like sex and porn addiction all of these are often not covered by mainstream media because it's a quote unquote adult content. Right. And so it'll just get censored out from most, you know, news publications or news sites or radio stations or whatever. So, I I mean, I can tell you, I had a a radio station here in Maine that was interested in having me on and, Mm -hmm. uh, Shortly before I was going to appear, I was told that they wanted to bring in the state senator who wrote much of the uh, sex offender legislation mm. to had to discuss this with me. And I just, I don't know what you want to have a discussion about. I, <laughs> I'm having a, my message is very different. We right. can, uh, you know, I, I can talk for days about the sex offender registry, and I can talk for days about other <laughs> aspects of this. But this is not this is not the message. The message is that. You know, pornography addiction can happen to anybody. It's all around, and, yeah. and they didn't want to share that story. They wanted to create a debate um, mm. over sex offender restrictions, which that's that's not the that's not the narrative. Uh, right. Maybe that's a narrative for ratings, but that's not a narrative right. that's going to yeah. help. That's going to help the world. So again, thank you for allowing me the time to at least. Uh, throw some decent karma into the world. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much, Joshua. It's been awesome talking with you. All right. Appreciate it, James. All right. Take care. Bye now. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. I really hope the show will help you find a path to recovery or your friend or your family member or whoever else might be needing a little assistance on their journey to finding a path to recovery. Now, please head on over to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and leave a review and subscribe to the show. And you can send me comments or uh, questions show topics or people you might think would be a good fit for the show just send me an email james at recoveryinnovators.com and thanks again i really appreciate it all right take care thanks for listening you can learn more at recoveryinnovatorsradio.com Could be larger than life.
could be a lion. 